This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. Uh, we are your ghostesses. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Corinne. I, okay, I have a million stories to you. I already told you a bunch, but as I was Okay, wait, into- before you do. What? Happy birthday, dear Sabrina. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Thank you. Yeah, what do welcome. you do when people sing happy birthday to you? It's such an awkward Because you 10, just make prolonged seconds. eye contact. Just stare at you. Okay, now you can tell all of your okay. stories. I think I saw a UFO this morning driving to work. No way. Yes. You drove early, too. I drove so early. It was 5.30. I got sprayed with a sprinkler this morning on my way to my car. It was very fun. Refreshing. Uh, yeah, refreshing. I didn't need that, but... <laughs> I was on the 405 driving past like the Getty and on the right up in the sky were these like it was like a round disc with a like 15 blinking lights around it. That's totally a UFO. Right? My, what else my, would it be? My heart sunk. I like kind of got really like excited and I had butterflies on my stomach. And I was like, I'm about to be abducted. I'm 24. Oh my gosh, your birthday wish. It's come true. <laughs> And then it didn't happen. Maybe they're just easing you into it. And then on Sunday, when this comes out, your actual <gasps> birthday, you'll just be picked up for a little joyride. Oh, my God. That would be the best birthday gift ever. Corinne, is this your birthday gift to me? I did. I, you know, <laughs> I made a few phone calls. We'll see. We'll see if it pans out. <laughs> well, that, I'm excited. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I want to Google it now because I wonder if anyone's reported anything or written anything yeah. about that this morning. The hard thing is that like when you – because I was driving – I mean there's no one on the road at 5.30 in the morning in Los Angeles. It's like yeah. the one time that the roads are empty. Mm-hmm. And so I was driving like 70 miles per hour. And so I didn't have enough time to grab my phone to take a photo. So I wonder if no one else really paid attention. Ugh. 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 should have – how long was it there? Was it just it was quick. covering there? It was so well. I was driving fast, but so I see it, and I like kind of had to do double take because I was like, "Is this really what I think it is?" And then I looked back, and it was like the lights were totally flashing around the. Oh my yeah. god, Sabrina! Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Just a couple weeks ago, you were begging to see a UFO on your drive to work, and here and we are. Here I am. Damn, I'm a whole new that's person. So impressive. I'm gonna start asking for things. <laughs> Maybe the universe will give it to me. If you put positivity in the universe, the universe will re- return to you positivity. It's an interesting wish. I'm I'm a woman with simple desires. Simple. I, didn't, I don't think asking to see a UFO was asking for too much. I'm not asking for a million dollars. I would love a million dollars, but I'm not asking for it. You know what I've got to say? A million dollars just isn't enough these days. It really just it's, doesn't go that far. It's very true. So maybe a million dollars, maybe we can ask for a million dollars. I think we can. <laughs> in this economy, it's going to be gone in like three years. I challenge you to have it gone in three days. That's doable. I know. Buy a house. You're gone. Literally. <laughs> I already have one. I've been eyeing it. It hasn't been purchased yet. Probably because it's $7 million. <laughs> That's uh... The sad part is that I look at these houses that are so, so expensive, and I still think to myself, mm, I'd still need to renovate that, which is so pathetic. <laughs> I'm like, and then I'd change out the hardware, and then if I just change the fixtures a little bit, maybe restain the hardwood floors, then I'm like, what am I doing? If I'm paying $7 million for something, 
It better already yeah. be perfect. That's why I want to build my own house because you can make it exactly as you want and build yes. as many secret entrances and passageways as you'd like. Kind of like H.H. Holmes. Right. I would advise you first to maybe live in a couple homes that you didn't yourself build so you can understand what things you like and what you don't like. You got to live in it. You got to hate it. And then you got to change it. Mm. I think we have to make money first, but... One day, all my plans involve money and I don't have any. So (laughs) I just sit here every year unchanging, being like, when I have money, (laughs) I'll do this. It's like it's like when people are like, tomorrow I'll start working out or tomorrow my diet starts. Mine's when I win the lottery. I everything starts. (laughs) My mom had such a scary dream and she said that it's because of the podcast. What? She said. That in her dream, she woke up because she heard noise down the hallway near her bedroom. And she looks over and there's a little toy, like stuffed dog, (gasps) like an old school one that has the wheels and everything. And it's just walking down the hall. And she said that she pops out of bed and she walks over and she goes, what's going on? (laughs) And then she goes over to my bedroom and I'm in the room and she tells me what happens. And I said, mom, you got to get rid of that thing. So in her dream, she goes and she picks up this like moving possessed dog and just throws it down the stairs. <laughs> That's a good way to deal with a possessed doll. Not quite the way that I meant get rid of it, but. I wonder what episode inspired that dream. I don't know. She's just now been catching up. But yeah, she blamed us. Oh my gosh. My mom actually has been catching up too. And she's like, don't you, are you okay? Like, don't you scare yourself doing this? And I was like, oh yeah. All the but time. that's the fun of it. Yeah. It's fun to be scared. And we would do this even if we didn't have microphones in front of us. So I feel like our right. our lives haven't really changed. No, not at all. It's kind of like you're all flies on the wall to our regular conversations. Cue Miley Cyrus. I feel like I just started singing it like a Kesha song. I did. Because my mind with music only works through Kesha. I've never met someone more obsessed with Kesha than you. Yeah. Maybe you should wish that you and Kesha both get abducted at the same time into the alien spaceship. I'm telling you, she would be so on board. Like, if Kesha met me, she would be like, you're my soulmate. <laughs> That's a, You're pretty confident. I, I know it. I feel it because I know her, but she doesn't know me yet. That's true. You should... I mean, I... Why was I going to ask that? Stupid question. I was going <laughs> to say, do you follow her on social media? Of course you follow her on social media. Did I, I cry at her concert? She, yes. She'd see you and click on you and be like, oh my gosh, this girl. I've tried to message her before. It didn't work. I slid into her DMs. I get so excited when I DM. I, I never DM celebrities, but like I've DM'd bloggers that I really like mm-hmm. when they ask questions and I'm like, I answer them like I, it's <laughs> as if you really think that they're going to respond when they have thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of responses. But when they just like like my comment or something, I get so excited. And I'm yeah. like, wow, Hi. this is kind of weird. It is. And I'm so giddy over a human I being know. that I've never met. <laughs> yeah. I get so excited. I I think I, I owe everyone a thank you for all of the dog photos that have oh my gosh <laughs> taken over our Facebook page. Oh my gosh, it's the most fun. I'm just, my <laughs> face hurts from smiling. I've just been so much happier and filled with joy. I'm chipper. I woke up at like 6.30 a.m., which I never do, <laughs> and I just like stretched my arms out, and I was like, what a beautiful day. <laughs> it's funny because I would approve a post of a dog and then i'd go to like go and look at it and you had already commented like I was oh my god this it. is so cute 
You guys really delivered. For them. You really delivered. And I was very happy that people still included other animals and cats with their dogs. Yes, we saw some guinea pigs. Yeah. I love the like the baby puppies like just born. There are a few of those. Yes. I can't choose just one. I love all animals. They're so pure. They don't have pure. They don't have like the horribleness of being human. No. I'm really excited for this week's topic. Me too. And I feel like I overdid it with the research. Wait, me I too. I have many, many pages. And I'm Same. Just like, <sighs> well, buckle up, guys. It's going to be a bumpy ride. So Sabrina's topic for her birthday, hauntings based on, or sorry, movies, movies based on hauntings. Although it does work the other way. I was reading, I was like trying to find what to do. And there are some movies that have inspired crimes that have led to hauntings. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very good topic for you and for your birthday too because you are a writer's assistant for Blind Spot. You want to work in television and film as a writer, so mm-hmm. this is right up your alley. Ghosts, writing, movies, scripts, scary, spooky, fun. Do you want to go first, or do you want to end the episode? It's up to you. You go first. Okay. Okay. Ready. Yes. Okay. When you hear the name Amityville, you might think back to the many, many movies that were Mm -hmm. made. I think back to the 2005 horror movie that had Ryan Reynolds in it. I have never seen it because I was too chicken back then. Oh, it's a good one. So this Amityville horror, if you're not familiar with it or the movie, it's basically the story of this family who was just tormented by these demonic forces Mm -hmm. and essentially go crazy. And I'm sure if you've seen the movie, you already know that the movie was based on a real haunting. And that real haunting is what we are going to talk about today. I can't wait. About a half hour away from New York City in Long Island sits the town of Amityville. And on November 13th, 1974, this Dutch colonial house at 112 Ocean Avenue was the scene of a horrific mass murder. Mm Mm-hmm. At age 23, Ronald J. DeFeo Jr. murdered his parents and his four siblings as they slept. So horrible. And his choice of weapon was a .35 Marlin rifle. I don't know if I said that right. I don't know how to say the names of guns. 35 Marlin think, rifle? Point thirty-five. Who knows? I don't a know. A gun. He used a gun. You've really, the past few weeks, you've really picked similar type of stories. Murderous ghost stories? Yeah. I really have. There's nothing worse. I mean, it's the two scariest things combined together. Yeah. Murder and ghosts. Uh, So DeFeo, the guy who shot his entire family, he told the police that he had actually discovered the murdered bodies of his family around 6 p.m. that day. And he was so scared that he ran down to the local bar uh, in hysterics and then got some of the men from the bar who went back with him to his home. And then the police were notified of the murders. Within two days, DeFeo was being held for the murders, so obviously the police did not believe his little tale of discovering his whole family murdered, and the police believed that he had actually committed the crime because he was after the insurance money, which was about $1 million in today's money. Again, not that much money. It's not enough for that. It's never, I mean, it's never enough to commit murder. Don't do that. Right. (laughs) There's not an amount that makes it okay, but $1 million just seems quite small to murder your entire family yeah he's just messed up yep 
So is anyone that murders for insurance money? I feel like I promoted it. I said it weird. No, I understand what you're saying. I think we've made it very clear we are very against murder. We're (laughs) anti-murder. I'm just saying. If you didn't know that, we are making it very clear right now we are anti-murder. Yeah. All we're saying is if we heard $1 million in murder, we would think, oh, that's not a good idea. Not overly enticing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not helping myself. Okay. Uh, DeFeo's attorney claimed insanity. So he was trying to basically come up with the defense that uh, DeFeo was crazy. Right. And he claimed that DeFeo was also a victim of abuse at the hands of his father. He claimed that DeFeo had heard voices which told him to kill his family. And a psychiatrist was brought in to examine him. And that psychiatrist claimed that he had been... DeFeo had been experiencing paranoid psychosis during the murders and claimed that he was mentally ill, but he was not insane. And the psychiatrist said that DeFeo still knew right from wrong and he was aware of his actions and he was convicted of the murders. He was handed six consecutive 25-year sentences for the murder of his six family members. Good. Just 13 months later, the Lutz family purchased the five-bedroom home at only $80,000 which was just such a great price for the home. But, you know, it was due to the murders. Right. It had a pool. It had a boathouse that sat on the canal. And George and Kathy Lutz had recently married. And they just really wanted a new, fresh start in a new home together with Kathy's three children. So she had children from a previous marriage and then got together with George. So George was the stepfather to these three kids. And they also had a Malamute Labrador dog named Harry. Harry. So sweet. Harry is the star of this in my eyes. (laughs) So they were just like, oh, my gosh, we have this big five bedroom home. And then we also have a big yard. We have a boathouse. We have a swimming pool. Like what a dream. Right. So they really thought they were getting a steal and they bought the property, keeping much of the DeFeo furniture that was still in the home, actually. They just took it. It was there and they were like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So they took it and they knew, obviously, about the previous murders. They were informed when looking at the property of the murders. But they were like, "This is we can make this work. The Lutz family lasted only 28 days before (gasps) they moved out, claiming that there was way too much paranormal activity. 28 days. 28 days. When you watch the movies or when you read about the story it seems like this was years because there's so much that happens right so it it had to be pretty constant, horrible you would think yeah also like on top of the paranormal activity could you imagine moving twice within a month and it's a family of five like they've got a lot of boxes they've got yeah. some stuff they're gonna fill out a house that's so much work a lot of work okay so not long after moving in they actually called father mancuso which is not his real name i'll tell you his real name at the very end but okay. father mancuso came in to perform a blessing on the house because one of their good friends very strongly suggested that they should get the house cleansed just purely based on the horrific events that happened that preceded them moving in you know the murders mm-hmm. so Father Mancuso, who I believe was also a lawyer, said he was a judge of the Catholic court and he was a psychotherapist. He goes into the Lutz's new home and he began to spray holy water around and he prays as George and Kathy are just continuing to unpack. They're doing their own thing while he's going around and blessing the house. Right. 
But it didn't go so smoothly for him because he heard a masculine voice say, get out. Why do they always say get out? I mean, I guess it's like straight into the point. But like, yeah, I don't know. Father Mancuso, he got out. He left. (laughs) And he actually didn't tell Kathy or George why he was leaving. He just peaced out. But then later he did call the house and he told them to avoid using the second floor room where he had heard the voice call out. And that was the same bedroom where the DeFeo brothers had slept when they were murdered. And this really wasn't it for Father Mancuso, though, because he quickly developed a fever and blisters all over his body. And these blisters are not unlike the red blisters that would soon appear on Kathy's body, the mother of the Lutz family. And the room that the family was warned against actually became Kathy's sewing room. So I guess they didn't really heed the warning and she just moved her sewing equipment in there. Oh, And Kathy said that she would occasionally hear the window being opened and closed in that room, although she knew the room was empty. I am like freezing. There is just so much. It's This is not even the scary part. This is like, I feel nothing. This is so benign compared to what else has happened. First, the Lutz family, they moved in, but they didn't really notice much. The blessing that they had done originally was just, you know, to get good energy. They didn't do it in response to anything that was happening in the house. Okay. But things soon picked up mind you let's remember they were only there for 28 days so i'm assuming on like day five stuff started happening right and then escalated pretty quickly real quick uh and they began to discuss with one another what was going on and many of the lutz family members experienced the same things but it also seems that each individual experienced different ones as well so they noted that it was almost as if they were living in a different house Interesting. I wonder if it's the same entity that just like haunted the people specific to like their fears and things that would like affect them. It could be. There was so much that went on that they actually believed that there were more forces than just one in the house. That's so scary. George Lutz, the stepfather, he had dabbled in the occult before. So it could be that he brought some stuff in with him as well. But uh, one of the things that happened to George was that he claimed that he would wake up at 3.15 a.m. every single morning, Mm-mm. which was around the time that Ronald DeFeo murdered oh. his entire family. And the devil's hour. George would go outside and he would check on the boathouse, which is so creepy just to think what? about some guy waking up in the middle of the night and just kind of like mindlessly walking to the edge of the water. Yeah. And it's a scene I can very clearly, so clearly remember from the movie. Well, I also just picture it so vividly in my mind. Like, could you imagine if his wife woke up and like looked out the window and just saw her husband standing facing the water, just like still and creepily? So creepy. But there are also plenty of creepy things that happened to Kathy as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure George was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And we'll get there. Okay. Because clearly George wasn't the only one experiencing all the strangeness in the home, although he was the target of a lot of the stuff. Hmm. The entire family claimed that weird smells like excrement or perfumes would pass through the home. There were also pockets of air that would be incredibly cold. Green slime would ooze out of the walls and out of the keyholes in the upstairs kids' playroom. (gasps) And a knife was once knocked down in the kitchen. So just a lot oh my gosh would move on their own furniture would be moved and the children said that they would be touched 
or sometimes thrown by an invisible presence. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And what's so confusing is this seems so aggressive and negative, but Kathy reported that she felt she was touched too, but she felt as though she was being held in a loving embrace by an unseen force. So it's weird that she was given kind of like love. It's almost like a mixture. Well, it makes me wonder if the spirits of the DeFeo family are in the home and like one of them latched on to the mom to try to protect her. Right. It makes me think that the mom of the DeFeo family did. Because if you smell perfume or feel a loving embrace, it's like the mother trying to protect the rest of the family. But then you get get out and just really awful negative energy. And like the the first thing you said or the first thing that popped in my head when you said it smelled like feces made me think because there are a lot of people who when they're murdered they soil themselves because it's like such a traumatic experience like it just makes me think of like this smell of death which is just so sad so sad kathy the mom the lutz family mom had nightmares about the murder and her nightmares were just so vivid and so realistic that she actually believed that she had discovered or she was given the knowledge of the order and location in which the murders occurred because in her dreams she'd go from basically like bedroom to bedroom (sighs) and know who was murdered first and where they were murdered whoa and what's even creepier was that her children the lutz children all began sleeping in the same position on their stomachs which was the position that the defeo kids had been found murdered what i'm like i'm just like i i don't think i've ever had chills this bad hearing a story it's it just continues it continues and it continues oh my god okay it's just messed up and that's why the amityville horror house is one of the like most famous and haunted houses ever because the story is just so insane and it's lived on for so many years i know uh the father the stepfather george he bore a very strong resemblance actually to the murderer defeo and he even began to go to the same bar as him which was called the witch's brew so it was almost as if the house had been imprinted with evil the evil of the murders and that the Mm -hmm. the lutz family members were almost like made each made to play a role oh god reenact it almost like the kids face down on the beds and george kind of going crazy and almost looking like the murderer himself just weirdness oh that's really weird there were also flies that would swarm george despite that it was december so cold weather and if you live in new york or anywhere that's cold you know that the flies lie dormant then they do not swarm they do not fly in such cold weather well there's that demon i think it's Bezelbub, Bezelbub, where Be- that Beelzebub. is associ- Bezelbub, which is associated with flies. You're not supposed to say his name. I just said it three times. Great. Beelzebub. Get out. What the heck was that? <laughs> that was so loud and creepy, Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'm scared. Instead of being abducted by aliens on my 25th birthday, I'm going to be possessed by a demon. I don't know how to save you from that. I just knocked on wind, so I'm good. Okay, good. Speaking of knocking, he would hear, George would hear, loud bangs on the front door. And when he'd go to check the front door, no one was there. And none of his family members had heard anything, not even his dog. But he said that the noises were so loud. The knocks were so loud. It was almost like it just emanated through the entire house and like shook the house. But it was specifically given to just him. No one else heard it. 
He would also hear what sounded like a marching band or a radio playing just off of its frequency when he would enter the room where the sound was coming from. Everything would just go completely silent. What? And as if that weren't bad enough, the Lutz family claims that a pig-like creature with (gasps) red eyes would stare at both George and his son Daniel from the window. Oh, no. The youngest Lutz child, Missy, started speaking to an imaginary friend who she called Jody. What did Jody look like? She looked like a pig with red eyes. <gasps> oh Very comforting. Oh my gosh. Missy said that Jody would climb out of her window, which is just weird. And uh, I'm pretty sure she was on the second story too. So it's just like, where the hell did Jody go? But one day, Kathy, the mother, oh was closing Missy's window and saw red eyes glaring back at her. <laughs> and the windows, locks, and doors at the house were all damaged, possibly by Jody. And they would often hear like the the sound of windows opening right. and closing, which it, it's winter. You don't want the windows to be open, so right, that's bad already. And there were also large hoof prints similar to the hoof of a pig that were spotted outside in the snow around the house. That reminds me of Roanoke. Yes. It's so, I mean, it's just like, this is like a million entities all in one place. Yeah. Marching around the house and just tormenting the people inside. Oh my gosh. Missy, the daughter, would also, uh, she would also sing in her room, presumably with Jody. But as soon as she stepped out of her room, she would stop singing. But when she would re-enter her room, she would pick up that exact same song at the part where she left off. Almost as if she was like being controlled in her room or something. And there's nothing worse than like a little girl singing eerily alone in her room. How creepy. And the amount of time between her being in her room, like leaving and coming back could be really long. Right. I am. Oh, God. So weird. I need a warm bath. Kathy and her sons, Christopher and Daniel, were also seen levitating off of their beds. Uh, uh. Yes. The father would wake up and he would see his wife, Kathy, floating two feet above their bed. This is like that that listener story you read where she had the dream feeling the ceiling. Yes. Floating right in front of the ceiling. Yes. So we're going to play a game of Would You Rather. <laughs> okay. Would you rather wake up and see your significant other walking mindlessly out to the water's edge? Or would you rather wake up and see your significant other floating two feet above the bed? Right I'm so next to you? torn because the first one, you could run. The second one, you could help your significant other. Can you imagine the fear, though, if you're looking out the window and you're like, oh, my God, I need to run away. But at the moment that you decide you need to run, they turn around and look at you and start Ah! walking back towards the house. Are you going to beat them? How much time (laughs) do you have? Are you going to hide? Are you going to run? What if they meet you at the bottom of the stairs? This is a nightmare. Do I have to choose? This is horrible. You have to choose. All right. Because because I love Nick, undying love, I would rather see him floating I would try to help. That's a very uh, noble choice. What would you do? I'd rather them walk to the water's edge. Okay. If they're away from me, that means the demon is probably out there with them. If they're floating next to me, that means the thing is like crouching next to them and holding them up in the air right next to me. I know. But like, if you love someone, you don't want them to be possessed. If you love someone, set them free. (laughs) Let them run to the water's edge. (laughs) 
one more thing that makes this house even creepier, and it's the little hidden room. George, the father, found this small four foot by five foot room in the basement, and it had been hidden behind some shelving. And when he opened it up, the room was painted red, which <gasps> earned it the nickname the red room. What the heck is that for? I, I don't know. It's really odd, though, because this room wasn't included in the plans of the house. So it wasn't in the blueprints. It was just there. Oh, that's and even creepier. It's so freaky. And their dog, Harry, also had just such a strong visceral reaction to the room. He would cower when he was near it. He would refuse to go close. And he was almost, it was almost as if he was responding to something that was there, like interacting with something. Right. It almost makes me wonder how many families lived in the house before the DeFeos and if someone built that room specifically for like satanic purposes or yeah like I mean why do you create a secret room and paint it red otherwise unless you're like doing 50 shades of gray I know that there are small crawl spaces because my grandparents have one in their closet, which is the scariest thing I've ever seen. But is There's it painted like a, red? I don't know. I've never <laughs> stuck my head down there. Go That's check it out next time you're gnomes there. gnomes live. I doubt it's red. It might not be red. But, you know, maybe that was just a weird paint choice. And then also, in the defense of the people who built that room, it could have just been a change that they made in the house. Just because you renovate or make a slight change doesn't mean you update your entire blueprints of your house. You yeah. Know? Well, I had a friend in high school who his family built or his family bought a house and when they moved in they opened a door and realized that there was a secret room that had a indoor pool <gasps> that's the best yeah find ever <laughs> how was that not included because it was like made illegally so it wasn't included on the blueprints and the realtor wouldn't wasn't allowed to show it that is the cool isn't it cool such excitement that's way the better best than thing a to find behind a hidden door i know i know wow so there was the creepy little red room and then basically everything else that had happened. But mm. there were still plenty of other things to occur. <laughs> oh, God. George and Kathy saw the image of a demon with half of his head blown away when they looked into the soot of their burning fireplace. They were just tending to their fire and they looked down into the soot and there is the demon's face. Uh, oh. These images of demonic beings continued to haunt the family on Christmas Day. In 1975, George, the father, was down at the boathouse, and it was still very early in the morning. I think he was probably the first person to wake up. Presumably, he walked down there at 3.15 a.m. and just stayed there until he came to in the morning. And he glanced back up at the house, and he saw his youngest stepdaughter, Missy, at her bedroom window, and behind her was the pig creature, no. Jody. <gasps> so he sprinted to her room but when he got there he found that she was completely asleep but the oh. rocking chair in her room was ever so slightly going back and forth back <gasps> and forth they also put up a foot-long crucifix like a 12-inch crucifix in the living room trying to make the house blessed and protected by the lord but they noted that that the crucifix seemed to move a little bit each day. It would oh. go a little more tilted, 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 until finally it was completely upside down and it <laughs> gave off this really sour odor. Oh, <laughs> that image is just horrifying. It's always it's always creepy when we hear of possessions or just demonic hauntings and these 
demons attack these religious artifacts, yeah. you know, because it's supposed to be something that protects you. This is it's this like is a game. saving grace. And and look what I can do. You think you're safe. Touched it. Right. And the, like, the fact that I feel like when crosses are upside down, it gives them more power. It's the Antichrist. It, it reminds me of um, the Crone of Catskills. Because remember, mm-hmm. the crucifix was like... Wasn't like thrown off the wall. Part of Jesus, his arm was torn off and the little yeah. nails were taken out. It's like, so a, this is your Lord and Savior. Look what I can do. Right. Also in the living room with the crucifix, they had a China lion ornament. And it was about four feet high. So it was a big thing. And one day, George seemingly tripped over it. But it doesn't appear that he tripped over it at all because when he looked down at his ankle, the one that had caught up on the statue, there were bite marks <gasps> on his ankle. Like the statue bit him. Oh. So he was like, okay, um, screw this. And he took that lion and he went to the upstairs room, to the sewing room, the room where the priest said not to go. And he put that lion into that room. Right, to put everything that's demonic, yeah, put it all in one room. That's a good idea. The room where his wife is supposed to be sewing. Yeah. But the lion did not stay in that room. It reappeared in the living room. It lived where it wanted to live. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) One day, George was presumably in the same room as Kathy or near her, within sight of Kathy, and he noticed that she started to change. What? And he watched her completely transform into a 90-year-old woman with deep, deep (gasps) wrinkles, wild white hair, and a toothless smile dripping with saliva. Uh, I can't. Like, this is a movie in my head. Like, I cannot imagine it being real. And it is. And it happened. It's, I mean, that's up for debate, which we'll get to. But, like, it's messed up. It's messed up. But the other thing that makes it more believable is that there are a lot of other really serious hauntings that have similarities with Very similar, yeah. Like I'm thinking of Demon House and the Sally House. I mean, we've talked about so many of them. Hunting in Connecticut, Conjuring, Exorcism of Emily Rose. They Mm -hmm. all have at least like some element that's the same. Yeah. So at this point, George and Kathy are pretty desperate. They're being attacked. Their children are being attacked. Their children, their youngest daughter is being manipulated by a pig creature. Like, hi, they're trying to get out of there. And so they're like, okay, well, the priest already came. He did a blessing. Let's do one blessing on our own. So they grab the crucifix, which like, do you really think the crucifix is going to fix this at this point when it's already been kind of marked by the demon? But you're going to try anything. They're trying anything. So they grab the crucifix and they start to pray. And as they're praying, they hear voices telling them, many voices telling them to stop. <gasps> oh, I am picturing a bunch of demons holding hands saying, stop what you're doing. Stop it. Coming from the walls. Ooh, ooh, you know what would make this creepier? If the demon was in the wallpaper and started to like press no. out but was stuck in the wallpaper. Their hands pushing through. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> You're hurting me. Stop. Oh, my God. Stop. I'll never get over your voices. They freak me out and entertain <laughs> me all at the same time. They freak myself out because I'm like, where do these come from? Why Why can I do it? It's like you have three voices coming out of you at once. Who's really me? Well, you already summoned Beelzebub earlier. I so. know. Well, Sabrina's gone. Sorry. <sighs> well, 
the Lutz family is about to be gone because their final night in the house was mid-January 1976. They have never given a full description of what happened that night because they claimed it was too frightening to recount. They contacted Father Mancuso again, who encouraged them to leave the house. <laughs> Shouldn't stay there Slight anymore. Push. Sounds like you've reached your end. Yeah. So they gathered a few belongings. They each took a couple changes of clothing and they went and stayed at Kathy's mother's house, which was not too far away because she lived in New York as well. Uh-huh. They thought they were safe, but apparently the entity followed them there to taunt them <gasps> and greenish blackish slime started to climb the staircase towards them. So they were like, what? this is it. We can never go back to that house. So on January 14th, they left that house for good. They sent movers to get the rest of their possessions. And apparently the mover experienced nothing paranormal when he was inside that house. Well, it, it makes was- me wonder if they were in the house long enough that something attached to them. And that's why it followed them to the mom's house. And that's why the movers didn't experience anything. Maybe. Like, the, you're not going to easily get rid of me. So... Now we're going to get into some of the controversy in the case. Okay. This is so long. I've talked for so long. It's okay. Uh, When the Lutz family moved out, the father, George, he told reporters that the choice was made for their own personal safety and that they were not planning on selling the house right away. They were just too spooked. They needed to just get out. Right. Immediately, many people are suspicious of the family. They think that the Lutz family is just doing this for attention because apparently they were in some legal and financial issues and they probably wanted a book deal or a movie deal or whatever. And so everyone thinks they're making it up. Right. Which is the accusation of like every story this this absurd. There's always an accusation of like they're just right. trying to make money. When it's this scary or this freaky, it's hard to believe. Right. Um, the lawyer even claims that they made up the story over a bottle of wine. Like, Okay. Yeah. So basically everyone's against them. But the Lutz parents, George and Kathy, are like, no, we are telling the truth. That house is haunted. We will even take a lie detector to prove that we're telling the truth. Wow. So they take the test. It was administered by two of the top five polygraph testers at that time. And both of them passed. But of course, we know now lie detectors don't really measure lies. It's more at the nervousness level of the test taker. So right. If you have a nervous disposition, you will fail. Right. But since the murders occurred, there have been four other families who've moved into the home. And the first family to move in after the Lutzes did so in spring of 1977. Jim Jim Cromarty was the patriarch of the next family to move in. And he said that they got a lot of visitors, including a visit from Good Housekeeping. And Good Housekeeping went on to write an article about the house being haunted and Strangely enough, the Lutz family tried to sue Cromarty and Good Housekeeping for the article, claiming that it was an invasion of their privacy. And the judge was like, no, that's stupid, and threw it out. (laughs) So it's just pretty strange that they'd attempt to sue the new owner of the house over an interview with Good Housekeeping. But it does make more sense when I tell you that five months after this, author Jay Anson published a book that he had written with the help of the Lutzes called The Amityville Horror. Oh. The book quickly became a bestseller. It was on the bestseller list for eight months. The book sold over 6.5 million copies. And soon, Hollywood came a-knocking, offering a movie deal. So, goodbye legal troubles, goodbye financial problems. The Lutzes are saved, it seems, right? Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) So it all seems great for the Lutz family and for the author of the book, Jay Anson, 
except one little detail. The new residents, Jim and Barbara Cromarty, who had spoken at Good Housekeeping, are not really keeping quiet. <laughs> they are talking to the press. They're stating that there's no paranormal activity that they've seen whatsoever in this new house. Interesting. That uh, the only thing wrong with it is the influx of visitors that they get knocking on their door at all hours trying to peek at the poltergeist. Right. They also claim that the windows, doors, and locks, which the Lutzes had claimed were damaged, were completely fine. They said the scary red room in the basement was just a closet that hadn't been sealed up or hidden. It was just there, and all the owners had always known about it. Hmm. And so the Cromarty family finally reached the end of their patience with the amount of people that are coming into their yard and just kind of the intimidation that everyone is putting on them for not believing that it's paranormal. So they sue the Lutz family. Huh. They also sue the author of the book and the book publisher, Prentice Hall, for $1.1 million for fraud. The book publisher never admits whether the story he wrote is true or not. He did say that there are some details that he had changed, like the type of car someone drives or someone's right. name or whatever. But that's that's all he said. This is so interesting. Uh, the lawyer also claimed to have made it up over the bottle of wine, but he, he also seemed to pretty adamant about making the whole haunting thing his idea so Hmm. it's you know maybe he was telling the truth or maybe he just wanted some credit so he could get some money and some book deals and movie deals of his own sounds kind of greedy yes it does uh the lawyer weber also claimed that there were some supernatural experiences but ultimately that they embellished the story to better fit the details given by the mass murderer defeo Then he does something shady. This lawyer Weber goes to a publisher offering to write a book. And they're like, no, you shade ball. And so they they turn him away. So good for them. He he tries to go on and and like write his own book. And (laughs) okay, tried to self-publish. Good for you, buddy. He actually wanted the Lutzes to go in on the book with him. And he said perhaps that he would even give some of the proceeds to DeFeo himself. Like literally what? pay the murderer for what? him create this story. That's mm, – you're in jail. You don't get that. No. You lost your right when you killed all of your family members. Yeah. But the Lutz family were like, okay, Weber's messed up and he's acting kind of weird. What's happening here? So they just completely cut him off. They stopped talking to him. So right. he's not a part of any future book deals or anything. He tries to write his book freelance. His account of events were actually published in Good Housekeeping. And then the Good Housekeeping. And they sued him for invasion of privacy over that article. I'm just like, I had no idea Good Housekeeping was all up in the paranormal world. I, I guess they were. And they really like, prov- they push buttons. They provoke people. Like every article they put out over this was being sued over. Wow. People were also trying to say that Father Mancuso never went to the house, but that priest, whose real name is Father Ralph Pecoraro, which I don't know why his name was changed. Maybe it was just based on the book or whatever for privacy. But he said that he did go and that his involvement was true. Researchers and weather reporters turned against the Lutz family as well. They claimed that there was no snow in the area at that time and that the Lutz family could not have seen pig hoof prints in the snow because there was no snow. Hmm. Neighbors also said that there wasn't anything out of the ordinary and that there was also no bar called the Witch's Brew that George could have gone to or that DeFeo ever went to. There was just the bar Henry's Brew. 
but witch's brew, not the same. Interesting. DeFeo, the murderer himself, decided to take Weber's side, the attorney's side, yeah. and corroborated his story about making it up over a bottle of wine. Well, didn't Weber didn't Weber say he would pay DeFeo? Yes. So, DeFeo, of course, DeFeo will take a side. It just He's a murderer who tried to claim insanity. You also can't trust anything he said. And, he, and he's changed his story numerous times. Yeah, and he, he tried to from, pretend he didn't kill his family. Like, right. he's a liar. Another time he he changed his story and said that he only killed one of his siblings and that right. his like, mom and his sister were in on it and his sister Dawn had killed the rest of the family. And just he's BS. Yeah, bullshit. You can't include him in any of this. Right. So now the lawyer and DeFeo both claim that the house was never haunted and the new residents insist it was never haunted. And the book author was kind of ambivalent and his answer is never saying if it was actually true or not, just saying, like, it's up to you as the reader to decide, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. So the Lutz family is kind of left alone, but they never stray from their story. They insist that what they experienced is real. They gave only a few interviews over the year, and they admit that certain details were exaggerated or slightly changed in the book, like the green slime. Right. (laughs) But... The rest was true. For the most part, it's completely accurate. And these, they were kids. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to wrap my head around young kids making this up. And it it clearly, like, I've read stories of the their adults now and, like, how traumatic this experience was for them and it still affects them. Exactly. Exactly. So Kathy Lutz passed away in 2004 and George passed away in 2006. But the kids are all still alive. Yeah. And the kids are completely backing up their parents' story. They're not coming out now and being like, oh, our parents made us say this. It was a hoax, blah, blah, blah. They needed money. No, they're talking about how traumatic it was to live in that house for 28 days. Right. The two oldest, Daniel, Danny, and Christopher, say that they remember a lot of what occurred in the home. And Danny said that the events have ruined his life and his nightmares just continue to persist oh my god he is now in his 40s he lives in queens um and both danny and christopher have talked about the shadow figures uh danny said that he was thrown up the staircase at one point and he also said mind you danny was like nine or ten years old at this point right he also said that he believes he was possessed by one of the spirits and that he wasn't strong enough to shake the spirit on his own and he would know when he was being taken over and it makes me think that the daughter was also taken over by that like pig person jody especially with the weird singing thing oh man one difference though in their story between their story and their parents is that the Let's children claim that DeFeo and the murders had nothing to do with the haunting and that the paranormal activity started when their father summoned bad spirits when he was practicing in the occult. So the parents Yikes. blamed it on DeFeo and the bad energy, but I guess they went in there and George just Brought, unleashed the bad yeah. spirits. Because I'm sure there was already like a ton of dark energy, whether it was mm-hmm. in the home or lingering just outside. And if you do improperly mess with the occult, you could invite horrible things. Exactly. Okay, so something like 20 books, I mean 20 movies have been made on the case. Plenty of ghost hunters have gone. Demonologists have gone, including Ed and Lorraine Warren. I love them. So we'll never really know, I guess, if 
it is true paranormal activity or if it's just a hoax. But the house is still in the hands of other people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So in 2010, the house was sold and it was opened up to the public. And hundreds of people went and showed up and went into the house. But no one was allowed in the upstairs room or the basement, the two hmm. most haunted places. And then in 2016, the house was once again on the market. The address was changed as well so that to discourage people from showing right. up at the house. And it was also listed as the most popular house on Realtor.com. Whoa. At the time. So, so oh my gosh, my question is because there's there's a lot that makes me think it's real. And then there's a lot that makes me think it was made up. Right. But don't me you too. think the most evil thing that a spirit could do is to torment someone, to torment an entire family and make them believe they're seeing all of these things that aren't actually there. And then when anyone else comes in the house, just lie dormant. It's like. It's like the demons playing the long game, you know, it's being right. quite manipulative and it's making the Lutz family, it's torturing them for the rest of their lives because they, they might think that they're crazy and they're, it's causing everyone else to think that they're crazy too. Right. Or maybe it's like, I mean, that's a really interesting theory because that would be the best like strategy for a demon. Right. But I also wonder if this entity specifically targeted the family and it got what it needed like it it like tormented them so horribly made them move out of the home and the children are still inflicted by nightmares like it's it's this right. lingering thing that it it has imprinted their lives so horribly that it doesn't need to do all of its evil work again right and it also makes me wonder if maybe it continued like what you had mentioned before could have followed the family it could have followed the father george but why would he or his wife kathy ever say anything again because they already came out right and publicly spoke about it and they had so much backlash that for them to come out again and be like oh well it's followed me now and it's doing this and that and that like they wouldn't they were they'd be like no people clearly don't believe us yeah i don't know it's so it's like a such it's a it's a really hard it's hard to what what am I saying? I want to believe it. Right. Because I think if it's real and these people went through that and it's horrible to be like, oh, I don't believe them because that isolates them even more. It's just so crazy. And I mean, I'd recommend people to watch the movies because whether you believe it's real or you don't, just seeing it and the imagery associated with it, it's just it makes for a really good scary movie. Yeah. Okay, what did you pick? Okay, so, and this is crazy, Corinne, because I we had both individually picked these stories without communicating yep. to each other, and I yes. start my research, and our stories happened five miles away from each other. <gasps> what? Yes. Where? In a suburb, suburb named Seaford, which I believe is still part of Am- like Amityville. Amityville is in Seaford. Okay. So I don't know what you picked. I'm like trying to go through my brain and my little Rolodex and be like, what happened over in Long Island? Well, this is a this is a story that very few people know, but everyone knows the movie. The movie is The Poltergeist. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Now I can never go into my pool. Why are we doing this one? <laughs> yeah. Don't uh don't go swimming because skeletons will come and grab you. Ah! 
That is probably one of the most horrifying scenes in a movie. There, yeah, quite scarring. Anything with water or like, was it the poltergeist that the shower curtain wrapped around her? I can't remember. I don't know. There are some scenes that never leave you, though. Yeah, I've only seen the very first one. So the poltergeist. Before the Lutzes and before Amityville Horror, Long Island was struck by an entirely different paranormal entity. Mm-hmm. It was 1958 in Long Island, New York, in the same suburb of Seaford, and it took place only five miles away from where the Lutz family lived. I think it was 15 years wow. later. So the Hermans were an average American family. They lived in a white and green ranch-style home that was built in 1953, so at the time it was a very new home. It had three bedrooms, a bathroom, a kitchen, a small dining room, a living room, and a basement that was half a utility room and half a playroom. It's like, don't put your kid's playroom in the basement, guys. Come on. So many people do it, though. I'm pretty sure my playroom was in the basement. I know, mine too. Mine too. But my my basement was where most of the paranormal stuff happened. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the parents can be happy because the toys are out of sight when the visitors come, but your kids are messed up for life. So what would you rather? (laughs) We're going to play a game of would you rather. (laughs) Would you rather hide the demons in the basement with your kids? Or Or have a more cluttered home, but your children remain unscarred? Yeah. Lock the basement. Put Put a deadlock on it so no one can go down there. Yeah. And maybe some green slime will ooze out like... In the Lutz's playroom. Yeah. Although I really did like my basement growing up. Once we finished it. Finished? That's the difference. Finished basements, they're A-OK. Unfinished basements, you're going to have to drag me down there. Mm-hmm. We had a closet. Well, we had the whole demon experience with my dreams. But then there was a closet after the priest blessed the house. There was a closet in our basement that if you opened it, it was like whew, scary. No, 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 no. So we think the demon was pushed into there. Okay, so as every freaky paranormal starts, it was a normal day, nothing out of the ordinary, until 3 p.m. on February 3rd, 1958. So Lucille Herman, who's the mom, was at home, and the kids arrived at 3 p.m. They arrived back from school, and it was her children, Lucille, who was 13, and James, 12. And I'm just going to say right now, every single person in this family has the same name. So Lucille is the mother. James is the dad. The children are Lucille and James. Oh, my gosh. So this is going to be confusing. (laughs) This is why you shouldn't name your kids your same name. It's not to give them individuality. It's because when your life gets turned into a horror movie, it needs to – we need a clear distinction between characters. I also think Poltergeist is loosely based off and inspired by these true events. So it's not mm-hmm. – they didn't get the rights to use the actual family as subjects. So the children came home from school and they entered the kitchen. And all of a sudden at 3.30, the house came alive. So all throughout the house, there were these popping sounds like pop, 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 pop everywhere. And Lucille, James – Mother Lucille, they all look at each other like, what the hell just happened? Mm -hmm. They didn't see anything. But as they start to walk through the house, they notice that all of these bottles that had had caps on it, the caps were were missing, (laughs) had flown off. The the contents of these bottles were poured, poured out onto the ground. And the mom, Mrs. Herman, was like, this is weird. Even if, like, one of those caps could have gotten loose, they're all twist-offs, metal caps or plastic caps that are twist-offs. Even if one of them could have gotten loose and popped off, the fact that all of these bottles at the exact same time popped 
and that's, spilt in the house. Yeah, that's terrifying. really crazy. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking like a change in pressure, but like, so, I don't know, it's still slightly unbelievable. Right. Right. So they're obviously freaked out. And it wasn't as if like the door slammed. It was just tons of popping noises. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they're all like, holy shit. So there was, let's see, there was a bottle of liquid starch in the kitchen that had been popped open, a bottle of shampoo, a bottle uh, of medicine, a bottle of holy water in the master bedroom, soda bottles in the kitchen. And like I said, all of them had been tightly sealed with metal or plastic twist-off caps. So Mrs. Herman called her husband, who worked for Air France in New York City, and she told him of the incident and that she was a little freaked out. But Mr. Herman was like, well, is everyone okay? And she said, yes. And he said, great. I'll see you tonight. Didn't think anything of it. But as Mr. Herman was taking the train home that night, he was still kind of bothered by what had happened, what his wife had told him. And he's like, well, there's probably a reasonable explanation. Maybe the humidity caused like a change in air pressure, like you said, and caused all of these caps to blow off the the bottles. But when he got home and saw the condition of the bottles – he was baffled. He was like, there's just no way that all of these bottles could have been affected by a little change in air pressure. And too, the little change in air pressure, you'd think that the cap would just like pop like the little like, not fly off, but mm-hmm. you know, the little pop like sometimes it's indented, sometimes yep. it's a little bit higher than the rest of the cap. Yep. That is what would happen. But not be fully twisted off. They... All agreed it was just a funny incident and that it was nothing to worry about. LOL, so funny. So funny, right? Like slipping on a banana peel, just normal, regular, funny, ripping your pants. I don't know. Right. You're going to tell that at the block party and all the neighbors are going to be like, (laughs) so funny. Oh, James and Lucille, you guys. Here, have some more cold pasta salad. (laughs) Oh, my God. They used to, what was it? Like meat jello. Put like meat inside jello. Ugh, so gross. gross. Uh, Okay, so two days passed and there were no incidents. So they were like, okay, it totally was just a random incident. But on Thursday, when the children arrived home again, at exactly the same time, another half a dozen bottles popped their lids. And I'm pretty sure... Why do they have so many bottles in this house? Is it like canned goods and some milk and stuff? Jams? Yeah. I think like detergents bleaches any cleaning chemicals nail polishes like you know a lot of things have caps that are twist off i was just picturing like a row of 200 milk bottles all (laughs) and then i was like wait why would they have that they drink a lot of milk they have strong healthy bones (laughs) maybe they have a dairy farm i don't know you don't know them uh okay so yeah half a dozen bottles pop their lids again and i'm pretty sure that this is where the saying blow the lid off the thing comes from I don't think that's true, but I like to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. I would believe it. I couldn't find the truth on the internet, so prove me wrong. You probably all will. Uh, yeah. Okay, so that afternoon, a bottle of nail polish, a bottle of rubbing alcohol, detergent, starch, and again, a bottle of holy water had all popped their lids. Um, which makes me think of people making, like, Molotov cocktails where they mix a bunch of chemicals and try to, like, make an explosion. Mm-hmm. right like it feels like they're exploding these things to like hopefully get them to mix or i don't know what do i know i didn't talk to the ghost so it happened again on friday night and so mr herman father james was determined to get to the bottom of it he's like if it's not humidity you know what it's probably my son 
So he thought because his si- his son James loved science so much that he was actually setting up a contraption to make the bottles explode all at the same time, like with carbonated capsules. Send that kid to NASA. Right? Genius. I said that weird. NASA. I said Say, NASA. Like NASA. Like I'm going to the Bahamas. <laughs> Send him there too. I don't know. He might need a vacation after all of this. Um, so Mr. Herman became a spy and he spent the entire weekend watching very closely to see what his son did. And Saturday went by and nothing happened. And then on Sunday morning, bottles begin p- popping again. So Mr. Herman runs into the bathroom where James is brushing his teeth and he accuses him like, what are you doing? Like, you need to stop doing this. It's not funny. And all of a sudden, a medicine bottle slides across the sink counter and into the sink basin and a bottle of shampoo flies off of the sink onto the floor and mr herman is just like shocked well well yeah because the ghost is probably like you're thinking that a 12 year old boy did this no this is much more sophisticated this is this was me yeah and again a bottle of holy water was one of the bottles that had been popped so mr home Mr. Herman ran to the phone and called the police. He's like, this is enough. We need to get professionals involved. So the police answer the phone and they're like, okay, stop pulling a prank. Do you understand what 911 is for? It's for emergencies only. But Mr. Herman pleaded with them and was like, please, this is serious. Please send someone. Enter another James. Okay, so this is James Hughes. He's a patrolman. And he went to the house and he said, and I quote, Why do I always get the crazy people? (laughs) But while he was in the home, multiple bottles actually popped and flew their lids off. And one of them actually flew at him. So he was like, holy shit, this is real. He like books it, runs out of the house, and it sends a detective. His name is Joseph Tazi. So Joe comes, and he comes to the house on February 11th. And the first incident happened on February 3rd. So this is February 11th, and he spends the night there. And on the first night, a bottle of perfume spilled in the daughter's bedroom when no one was in the room. And in the following days, the events seemed to center around the holy water in the master bedroom. The lid kept popping off and trying to spill. Which seems counterproductive if it's a demon to then spread holy water around. Or is it trying to empty its contents so it can't be used? Ooh, it's kind of like in your story where they're mocking these religious artifacts and items in a way of like i'm more powerful Mm -hmm. but so mr herman runs to the bath runs to the bedroom when one of the popping sounds came and he went to grab the holy water bottle and it was hot to touch and he like threw it back on the ground it was so hot so then on february 15th the activity went from bottles popping to holy shit get the fuck out of here uh, as they were watching TV, a porcelain figure rose up off the coffee table, hovered in the air, looked towards James and his cousin Marie, who were sitting on the couch, started to levitate forward towards them, <laughs> and no. all of a sudden drops to the floor and falls on the rug. The family was terrified, and so they called a priest to come into their home. The priest sprinkled holy water in all of the rooms, blessed the home as a whole, But this entity, which they decided to name, which sounds kind of ridiculous to me, like, don't name this thing that's 
tormenting you. Yeah. They named it Popper. I get it, though, because you try to make light of the situation. I know, but is my mom named, it? she named the ghost that's in our dining room. Yeah, but it, that ghost isn't like tormenting you and throwing things at you. True, 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 true. But so they named it, they named it Popper because it popped things. Yep. It didn't want to leave, even though the house was blessed. And the case actually became the very first or one of the first televised hauntings. It became like known nationwide. It was show. It was reported on in on news channels. People wrote about it in the newspapers, etc. And the media was like constantly hounding the family outside of their home, trying to get mm-hmm. an interview. Um, tons of people would call and write them letters, and people had tons and tons of different theories of what it could possibly be. They were like, it, if it's not an entity, it's probably Russia digging tunnels under Long Island to get to New York. That's just so unbelievable. I mean, it, who knows? Russia probably... Tunnel digging that would go unnoticed and the Russians are now <laughs> coming into a random family's home and popping their and bottles. And popping bottles. Right. Totally. That They've part's- got other things to do. If they're putting that much effort into building a tunnel... They're not going to mess with, yeah. I believe the tunnel. I don't believe them affecting this family. So others accused the family of being Satan worshipers and that this was God's way of punishing them. Uh, Then there were other people who would like come and like pray on their lawn and like make, do these ritualistic prayers and ceremonies. That's even worse. It's like you're making it worse. Well, 100%. So Detective Tazi brought out like, he just was so confused by this this case that he brought out every he went to all extremes he had a team examine the magnetic field and it came up negative like there was no nothing odd about it then he talked to the air force to see if there were any like flights that were flying over that would cause just something weird happening and they even got this company to inspect the vibrations underneath the ground of the house with an oscilloscope but nothing wow they were really trying to debunk yeah but i think they also like they just wanted answers it was like Mm -hmm. what is this i don't know why you have to ask what is this it's if the med if you saw the medicine bottle and a freaking figurine flying through the it's not like ooh, it must be the vibrations no Mm -hmm. it's clearly a ghost right well to you and i that's clear but people like to have a a logical answer because ghosts aren't the most logical and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. It feels logical to me. I agree. Totally agree with you. Others don't. It just seems much more logical to be like, oh, a floating figurine turning and coming towards me through the air. It's because a ghost is carrying it rather than being like, well, the vibrations of the airplane mixed with the electromagnetic field that day (laughs) must have lifted this one particular thing in the air Mm -hmm. turned it floated it and dropped it bullshit i say (laughs) bullshit i also say bullshit (laughs) okay so a woman wrote to the herman family said that she had a very similar experience but once she installed this like equipment into her fireplace to prevent air coming through it all stopped so mr herman was like let's try that and as the workers are finishing the installment Again, that same porcelain doll launches itself from a table and smashes against a desk so hard that it left a dent in the wood. But I don't think the doll broke. Yeah. And then on February 20th, another another porcelain figure 
was smashed and a bottle of ink exploded all over the walls. A sugar bowl flew off the table. And that night the family was like, okay, we need to get out of the house. Let's stay somewhere else. And so they left Detective Tazi alone in the home. And surprisingly, nothing happened that night. And it wasn't until February 24th that the activity picked up again and Tazi heard a loud bang in the son's room. So he went to investigate and found a large bookcase was face down on the floor. The next night, James was in his room doing homework when his record player lifted and moved across the room 15 feet. And a small Virgin Mary statue flew 12 feet into a mirror in the master bedroom. A bookcase was upended. A glass centerpiece flew and struck a cupboard. 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 Why can't I say that word? Cupboard. 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 And a world globe shot down the hall, just barely missing the detective. Whoa. So that whatever was in there had some strength, some crazy strength. And was angered, just like grabbing things and chucking it, like a little tantrum. Throwing them everywhere, yeah. So then Popper, the ghost, started to try to communicate with the family. It would knock on walls when people were in certain rooms. It would, like, whisper. Meanwhile, at Duke University, there were these employees at the parapsychology laboratory that were becoming more and more interested with the case. Again, why did we not study parapsychology? I don't know. Why did I not know this was an option? Curse. Gotta go back to school. Actually, we don't need to. We do it as we do it already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 1958. Just keep this in mind. Mm -hmm. They thought that this was a case of psychokinesis. They believed, and this is probably the most amazing thing in the world. They (laughs) believed that psychonetic happenings occur when adolescent girls at the height of their puberty gain abilities to move things without knowing. Wait. Is that how Carrie became a movie? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm sure. She gets like, her period and she moves shit around. Probably that and Matilda. Think about Matilda. Like she has Matilda to- was young. I know, but she's still a girl. She's still a girl. You know what? I <clears throat> Yes, I agree. It's a little laughable, but if only, you know? I if wish. If only we did. Right? Are you kidding? If I had abilities to move things with my mind my period would be great i would be okay with the cramps yeah and clearly they as much as women were not given many rights back in the 50s they thought we were a pretty powerful bunch well we are we are very powerful people but like everyone can actually move stuff with their minds all women can we just hide it and when we all go to the bathroom in groups together we just practice that's what we do that's what girls do in bathrooms (laughs) i actually once was in the bathroom with corinne and i made my lipstick come out of my purse and i did corinne's lipstick without my hands it's true i was there (laughs) i'm gonna try and move my microphone without touching it (laughs) God, we look so crazy. Just opening our eyes wide. Is that how you do it? You just make your eyes as wide as possible? And just like hyper focus on something? Okay. Well, I wish this was the case. But as we now know, it's not. Um, So on February 26th, which is my half birthday. What's up? Hey. uh, Dr. J. Gaither Pratt. Which I'm like, what does the J stand for? Do you think it stands for James? Because it probably does. Definitely does. So Dr. J. Gaither Pratt arrived at the Herman house and he decided to start studying the children in the home. 
And they did, and you can read it. There are tons of articles about it. And actually, Jay Gaither Pratt himself has like a long study about his time with the family. But they tried to run all these tests to tell if the kids were tele- like able to move things with their mind. Let me tell you, it didn't. It didn't come up with positive results. Interesting. I would have suspected the other <laughs> way around. Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Um. Okay. So. When Dr. Gaither Pratt arrived at the house, activity suddenly seemed to stop until March 2nd. So that night, Popper caused a dish to fly from a kitchen cabinet and shatter on the floor. And a night table flipped over in James' room. James's room. A bowl of flowers slid off the dining room table and jumped into the air. And a bookcase turned over, turned over end over end. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's creepy. Yeah. And so on March 10th, as the family is getting ready for bed and Dr. J. Gaither Pratt was downstairs, they all heard a loud pop. The pop came from the basement. So they all went down to the basement and they found a bottle of bleach sitting in a cardboard box without its cap. And that was the last time that they ever experienced anything. That's it? That's That's it? it? That's it. So like it was just a month of like crazy intense activity that they like – didn't they were just like so blown away by it it was nothing like tormenting them in in a in a a exercise in a possession type of way but it was like tormenting Uh them in this like weird psychological game of like what the hell is going on yeah um and there never really has been an explanation no one knows what kind of spirit it was i mean obviously it's a poltergeist that's actually where the term poltergeist was coined but it was never like, they just couldn't determine what kind of, like, what ghost it was or what their purpose was or why they were doing it. But people believe... It was like a ghost went on a little power trip for a minute. Totally. And, had like, was just, like, having fun. But people believe that the home was actually built atop a large Native American burial site. And that is where we come into the movie. Mm. So the movie took this story and the fact that it was believed that the home was built on an American Native American burial site and just amplified it. So the film The Poltergeist was directed by Steven Spielberg and released in 1982. I think there are four movies total now, one that recently came out. Um and it tells the story of Steven and Diane Freeling, a Californian couple with three children. In the movie, the family begins to experience very bizarre events. And the youngest, Carol Ann, begins to talk to a television screen. And at one point, a hand reaches through the TV set. And Carol Ann announces, they're here. <laughs> I remember that. Mm-hmm. And all hell breaks loose. Um, so That actress, wasn't she in a lot of different scary movies? And I'm pretty sure the poltergeist was also a, a cursed Well, set. I'm getting there. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's what's so cool about the story is it's like, it's haunted, it's based on a true story, then the movie itself is cursed. Yes. So if you haven't seen the movie, you should. I've only seen the first, and I think it's fantastic and terrifying. I've got to um, rewatch because I'm pretty sure I've never seen the full thing all the way through. It's just been like snippets here and there. Right. It's just so good. But as if the haunting wasn't enough, the movie itself seemed to bring about its own curse which is today mm-hmm. known as the poltergeist curse. So the curse kind of exists in so many ways, but there are just a large amount of deaths that have surrounded the film and like strange deaths that have surrounded the film and just strange activities in general. 
So I'll go through those. Dominique Dunn, a 22-year-old actress who portrayed the older sister in the first film, broke up with an abusive boyfriend in 1982. And then October 30th, this boyfriend, ex-boyfriend showed up at her front door pleading for her to take him back. Dominique denied him and tried to turn, turn him away. But he did not want that answer. Oh, and no. so he strangled her for six minutes, leaving her for dead in her driveway. Dominique was rushed to the hospital and died on November 4th, 1982, four days after her boyfriend choked her into a coma. Oh, my God. And then the worst part is her boyfriend served three years and was released from prison. What the fuck? Right? He should have served 360 years, one year for every second he took life away from her. Yeah. It's horrible. I would be a much stricter judge. I can't, like, it, I just don't understand how a murderer could get out of jail after three years. It just blows, it's yeah. like, it makes no sense. It makes less sense than people who argue ghosts aren't real. Then there's the young child, Heather O'Rourke, who played the young Carol Ann Freeling throughout the Poltergeist series. So she was in three of the movies, I believe. She unexpectedly died at the age of 12 from septic shock, which mm-hmm. is just, it was like, this. it came out of nowhere. They thought that she had an ordinary, the ordinary flu and it turned into cardiac arrest and bacterial toxins were set loose into her bloodstream and her, when she got to the hospital, her heart was successfully restarted, but she died on February 1st, 1988 almost exactly 30 years after the poltergeist activity started in the Herman's home. Wow. Then there's Julian Julian Beck, who played the evil spirit in Poltergeist 2. He died of stomach cancer on September 14th, 1985. That one's not really associated with the curse because it's more of a... He was battling with cancer for many years. Yeah. Uh, Richard Lawson, who played Ryan in the original Poltergeist film, is believed to be another victim of the curse because... In 1992, he boarded flight 405 to Cleveland, and a lot of the passengers, like this is a terrifying story because it's my worst fear, a ton of the passengers reported having an uneasy feeling before the flight, including Lawson, and Lawson was bumped to up to first class after a flight attendant recognized who he was, which is great. Oh my gosh, this is totally final destination. Yes. And the plane crashed into a bay after it failed to take off, and 51 of of its passengers got trapped in their seats. 27 of those died, including someone orig- someone who was in Lawson's originally assigned seat. So if he hadn't been bumped, bumped up to first class, he may have died. Oh, he survived. He survived it. Wow. Then Lou Perryman, who played a small role in The Poltergeist, is also considered to be a victim of the curse because in 2009... Uh, another man named Seth Christopher Tatum, who was on the run from police, entered Lou Perryman's home and attacked him with an axe. Tatum, who later turned himself in, said he attacked the man because he needed his car and some other items from his home. Not a good enough reason, again. Right. And it's just like a freak accident. Like, what is the chance of, what are the chances of some like crazy criminal breaking into your home and killing you with an axe? Yeah, not high. Probably the same amount as it is likely to be struck by lightning or win the lottery or something. I don't know. Well, there's a lightning story, too. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
John, uh, James Kahn, I think that's how you say his name, he wrote the novelization of The Poltergeist as the movie was being made. And he was at home writing the line, lightning streaked the sky when a freak lightning bolt struck his building. And what? as that happened, it caused his air conditioner to shoot off the wall and hit him in the back. <gasps> and all of his lights went out and the video games in his house. Oh my house- God. Oh my God. I just like twitched so hard because <laughs> the chill down my spine just yeah. dis- contorted my body. The lights turned out and the video games in his house all turned on and started playing. No! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't think they had Mario Kart back then. But like, imagine it's just like completely dark and then. No, thank you. And it sounds like he had multiple. So it was like a ton of sounds going off. Um. Oliver Robbins, who played the middle freeling child Robbie, was on set. And there's a scene in the movie where this clown kind of comes out and like starts to strangle him and pulls him into under the bed. And apparently he was actually being strangled by the clown. And if it wasn't for he says if it weren't for Steven Spielberg noticing him turning blue, he would have died. Who the frick played the clown? It was a, it was like mechanical. It was a fake. Oh, oh. It was a, it was a, I was just like, what monster? Yeah. Uh, Will Sampson, who played a Native American shaman in the second film, reportedly performed an exorcism on set because of these, like, really terrifying bad vibes that they got. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, you know what it was? It was because in the first movie they used real human skeletons. Oh, I do remember that detail. Because mm-hmm. it was cheaper. Um, but they believed that that brought about a ton of negative energy onto the whole series of movies so will sampson performed an exorcism on the set which is like just creepy uh and oh and then joe beth williams who played the mother of the freeling family who was the one who was pulled down in the pool by the human skeletons said whenever she would go home after a day at on set all of her photos and portraits on the wall would be slightly tilted Oh, and she would always straighten them. But no matter what, every time she came home, they were tilted again. And just when she was filming. Yeah. And then the curse did not end with the first three original films because Gil Kennan, I'm sorry, I'm probably saying that wrong, who directed the 2015 reboot, actually sought out the curse. He was like excited to do the movie and he was like, I hope I experienced the curse. And he got what he asked for because the entire time the film was plagued by strange equipment failures um that and he also reported that the house that he stayed in was while filming was haunted by a female figure dressed in a black dress this is why would you go seeking it out but i wonder even if he didn't seek it out if something would have come anyway right but right. that is the poltergeist curse and the herman family that inspired the movie oh my goodness i cannot believe that it was so close to where the lutz family I know five miles away, and there's there there are a ton of similarities, like them just being an average normal family, right. and I think people have s- speculated that there's some Native American burial ground involvement with the activities that they experienced. It's just 
But even if it is, I don't know. I don't think the Native American thing is a good excuse because I understand if they built on the ground and maybe it was some form of like disrespect that maybe there'd be some sort of haunting or a little bit of bad luck. Right. But it's that wouldn't explain poltergeist activity, you know? Or the crazy intense pig people and I don't know. Yeah, just story. their rage. Like, yeah, it, that it's just that's not. I don't know. That just seems weird to be like, oh, the Native Americans right. are clearly. Well, I think that I mean tormenting people. It's like no, like sometimes you want to like like you know if your house is haunted, you want to find the history and be like, oh, you know what, someone did die in this house, and that's who's yeah. haunting the home. But like, yeah, you tried to. You're like, it must be this because right. that's the only piece of the puzzle that seems even close to fitting. Right, but sometimes it's just, you know, like maybe something yeah. is attracted to you and your family, and it just stops by and so there is a native american burial ground close to my house in vermont Mm -hmm. and we've always wondered if we'd ever see any native american spirits and we never have our house has had many many spirits pass on through but but none have appeared to be part of the uh abenaki or iroquois or anyone like that Mm -hmm. maybe they're at peace and i hope they are dang so crazy Obviously, Long Island is messed up. <laughs> it's fucked up. Super. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Two of, like, the biggest paranormal accounts, hauntings, movies. Yeah. Like, so, some of the most famous. And they also, both movies actually came out in the same year. That's even freakier. What if it was the same spirit? What if he just practiced, like, the poltergeist was just his practice round? Ugh. And he's, he's like, like oh, look, I can throw things. I can pop things. People are nervous. This is cool. And by the time he got to the Lutz family, it was like. Amplified. Just craziness. I mean, I'd much rather be the Herman family in this situation. I know. Popping bottles. Popping some champagne. That's the scariest thing. So if a ghost did it for me, I'd be very happy. So long as it doesn't aim the cork at you. Right. Exactly. Freaky. Very freaky. We have a few stories, I do believe. Mm-hmm. What'd you pick? Okay. 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 Oh, you're Ooh. so good at it. Okay. This is from Brittany. It's titled, Frickin' Emily Rose Movie. Good morning, ladies, ghost, and Leia the cat. Your podcast gives me life, even though you all talk mostly about the dead. <laughs> <laughs> True. I recently... I recently listened to an episode where you talk about the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose and the real story that inspired that film. I have a bit of a strange occurrence that involves the fir- that, that film in particular. My sister and I got our friend the movie from a vintage movie store as a birthday joke gift for one of our guy friends. Just a joke to give them a haunted film. Yep. Very funny. We got we got him this gift as a joke because he used to talk about how much the movie freaked him out. I know. We are real hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a few weeks later, my roommate and I were at his roommate's house. We were all in a big group of friends and we felt the urge to watch a scary movie. I thought, hey, let's watch that Emily Rose movie that we got for Fawaz's birthday. So I grabbed the movie and I stuck it into the DVD player. When the film refused to play, I decided to take it out because perhaps it needed a cleaning. Once I took the DVD out, I noticed a large scratch across the DVD, unlike any scratch I'd ever seen. Like someone had 
taken a nail and scraped it <gasps> deep across the disc. What? Let me just say, when we bought the DVD, it did not have that scratch on it. And none of our friends scratched it either because we asked. Since trying to watch the DVD was a bust, we tried to see if maybe the film was on one of the movie channels that the guys had on their TV. And we found it. Well, the film refused to play on the TV (gasps) as well. We tried purchasing it on some movie database and it wouldn't play there either. Oh, we finally just gave up on watching the movie. And the next day I was getting out of my class and I walked into my dorm room and turned it on the TV and guess what was playing? You guessed it. The Exorcism of Emily Rose was playing on my TV right when I turned it on. Coincidence? I think not. Well, there's my short story, The Strange Occurrence, with one of the scariest possession movies, in my opinion. I really enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Have a fancy week, Brittany. Fancy week? I'd love to have a fancy week. I I hope you have a fancy week because it's your birthday week. (gasps) It's true. I wonder why the movie didn't want to be watched. And it, it also freaks me out that it it was so willing to be watched by just her alone, but not mm-hmm. in a group. So weird. But probably for the best, right? Like, I, I don't know. If something doesn't want to play, it's probably for a good reason. Don't make it play. And if there are big, deep scratch marks in it, go sell that thing somewhere, yes. some other place. Run and hide. It does make me wonder, though, if maybe... Maybe it wasn't such a bad spirit. Maybe it was trying to protect them. Yeah, a good spirit that scratched it and was like, no, don't watch this. Like something bad will happen if you do. Right. I'm protecting you. That's a nice way to think of it. Just like to do a little positive spin on the really (laughs) scary ones. Think of good things. Yeah. Well, I have a kind of more sweet story. Okay. Uh, After our scary episode. So this is from Sean and it's called My Experiences. I've had multiple experiences over the last 12 years. For the first 14 years of my life, I don't remember having any paranormal experiences. But 12 years ago, my family moved from Montreal to Toronto. I'm sure I've had many more experience experiences, but these are the ones that stick out most. When I was in the 11th grade, a boy in our grade passed away very suddenly. His name was James Milton, and the only reason I'm giving his name is because it's significant to the story. So my group of friends and I had a pretty good relationship with him, and his passing had a very hard impact on us. After the funeral, we all decided to go back to our friend's house just to be together. And we all decided to watch a funny movie to try to lighten the mood. So we decided on watching The Emperor's New Groove, which we all had seen many more times than we can count. When the movie ended and the credits started to roll, one name stuck out to all of us, and the name was James Milton. We believe that it was his way of saying goodbye to us. I've also had some experiences in my home, three separate occasions that stick out the most. My bed is set up in the corner of my room up against a wall, and I've always gotten a strange feeling coming from the corner near the foot of my bed. One night, I was woken up by a sound at the foot of my bed, and when I woke up, I saw a figure standing there watching me. I bolted to my bedside lamp to turn it on, but when I turned it on, there was nobody there. After calming myself down, I managed to get back to sleep. And not long after, I was awoken by the same sound to once again see a figure watching me. But again, when I turned the light on, there was no one there. I was able to get some sleep again, but I kept the light on for the rest of the night. Another night, I was woken up by the feeling of somebody pushing down hard on the side of the bed that is not against the wall. I then saw a dark shape the size of a child run Ah! into that one corner. No. (laughs) Lastly, one morning before school, I was woken up by somebody gently shaking my shoulder 
Nothing about it seemed strange because my mom would wake me up before she left for work, but right after I was woken up, I heard my parents' alarm clock go off, and I heard them both getting out of bed. So I still don't know who woke me up, but whoever it was, it seemed nurturing. Uh, I love what the two of you are doing with the podcast, and I look forward to what's to come, Sean. Wow. I wonder if it was a child. I know. Or maybe might there's be. almost like a family, like the kid is there with its mother or some other sort of maternal or paternal. And just like watching him sleep. Yeah, it's just like, creepy. oh, it's about time for you to get up. Like, I'll wake you up so you don't right. miss your bus or whatever. It's a little creepy, but it could be nurturing and motherly and not scary. Y- yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to think about it too much because it's kind of <laughs> scaring me. But the movie is really sweet. And I love that, like, because it's one thing to watch a movie and you see a name that, like, looks recognizable in the credits. But when all of his friends all at the same time were like, wait, that's his name. Like, yeah, because like usually you check out at the credits. Right. But for the fact that they all were watching, they all noticed it is it's it seems but more they, significant. They chose that movie and it was right mm-hmm. after his funeral he passed. It was, you know, it was his sign. It was meant to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. If you guys have ghost stories or any weird paranormal occurrences that have happened to you or maybe a best friend, a mom, whoever, you can email them to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And tell us whether you would rather see someone floating next to you in bed or if you'd rather see someone standing at the edge of the waterfront. Let us know because I'm curious to know. Would and you rather? We have a social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And we have a ton of offspring. What's the word? Offspring. Offshoot we have offspring. Offshoot. I said we have offspring. Our baby groups. <laughs> we gave birth to a few other groups. Uh, we labored for a few hours and po- out popped a few other Facebook groups. Um, so if you want to join yeah. those, they are linked. And um, actually, I'll make an announcement. So I'll link all of the groups up in an announcement. So it'll be at the top of our Facebook Perfect. page. We have a new group that just joined, too, for the UK listeners, yes. I believe. Yeah. So um, there are a few different ways that you can support our podcast. You can do one, maybe all of them. One is to write and review us on iTunes. That helps keep us in the top 200, helps other people find us, helps us grow, helps us get more ghost stories, et cetera, et cetera. We also have merchandise out. You can find the merch either in our uh, Instagram bio or on our website, twogirlsonegostpodcast.com. And purchasing merch also helps support the podcast and helps us. And you get to look spooky during the holidays. So spooky and fun. We also have Patreon. So if you feel like are able to donate to our podcast to help us afford more designs for merch and yeah all of the money from our patreon gets pumped right back into our podcast so that means uh enhanced audio uh, better equipment um, new merch designs more content etc etc more to come you know what's not used right now is hopefully going to be used for other things we're hoping fingers crossed that 2019 might have some shows yes we hope. We hope. Maybe even sooner? Question mark, question sooner? mark, question mark. Um, okay. And then we also have our pyramid scheme that you can all be a part of. Um, if you mention us on an Instagram story, that is like taking a pyramid scheme to the highest maximum point. So just do it. It's great. Tell everyone. And we will see 
See you on, on the, the other, other side. side. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>